0: My guest today, Ioni Butler, is a British film, television, and voiceover actress based in LA with a lot of different credits, including Marvel's Black Widow, a leading role in a motion picture, which premiered on the Sci-Fi Network, as well as guest starring in hit TV shows on CBS, Spike, TLC, BBC, and others. Growing up biracial in West London Southall neighborhood, which has been known for a long time as Little Punjab or Little India since the sixties really, she was surrounded by different cultures and developed this sort of early curiosity for people and relation and community. And along with that, a passion for acting that led her to the iconic Brit School of Performing Arts. Eventually heading to LA as an adult to build her career in the business, she became increasingly called to really both create her own roles and focus on producing positive media and also take control of her career, founding uplifting content, a social media platform followed by over 1.4 million people, hosting the Uplifting Content Podcast, and most recently, writing the book, Uplifting Stories. So we dive into all of this, and we also explore what it's like to navigate the world of entertainment and act on the impulse to put positive, optimistic ideas, media, and offerings into the world, at a time where the world needs it more than ever, but also when we personally may be carrying the weight of a lot. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project.
1: Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
0: Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. really excited to dive in with you. I, I'm kind of fascinated. Um, before we got online, you were talking about how you're about to bounce out to Big Bear. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that you you grew up in southwest London. But when you look at sort of your Instagram, you're in Yosemite, you're in Joshua <laughs> Tree, you're in Tahoe. And I'm I, it got me really curious, you know, um, because I'm somebody who's, you know, like lived in the city pretty much my entire l- life. And, but I am passionate about the outdoors. I love mm. it. And, and it seems like that is a huge part of you as well.
2: Oh, yeah. It's part of my therapy. I think being out in nature is very healing for me and as much as i love living in la i've been here for 8 years now and i always noticed that i would start to get a little bit antsy every month if i didn't leave <laughs> because as much as it's a big city you know i'm just i feel like it's a, a a bubble i'm driving around the same areas and there's a lot of people and so sometimes i just need to get out and be in nature just to reset and breathe and connect again. And so it's been interesting this year because typically I'll be jet setting off somewhere. This is the first year that I haven't been to, you know, seven different countries and which has been great because it's allowed me to be still and uh, save money, which has been really great. But I, when things started to open up, I did need to get out again and so we've been uh taking little road trips here and there and national parks and it's been it's been a blessing my, my boyfriend actually is from New York too he he moved here we were neighbors uh we've been neighbors for years and then over quarantine started dating and luckily he loves to travel too so he's been all about the road trips and it's worked out really well
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
2: We made it work.
0: Right. And during quarantine, you're like, you know what? This needs to last at least until we're out of this. <laughs>
2: I can't meet any strangers on a dating app, so you'll do. <laughs>
0: right, right. Um, that's too funny. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because I've been really curious about how people have sort of found ways to touch stone, to like get back mm. into themselves. Um, during the course of this year and people have found a lot of different ways, Mm -hmm. but the ability to access nature is just so, so powerful. There's something incredibly just grounding about it. Um, at least for me, I mean, and I've felt that since I was a kid.
2: Yeah. Well, I just think we live in this world where we, you know, it's technology and stuff and work and stress and, you know, people and all these things. And then I think just being in nature takes me back to Not that none of it matters, but it's just there is more to our existence than the busyness of our lives. And nature. just being still in nature, is I just love it. And especially when things are beautiful, uh, yeah, like Tahoe is just magical. I just, it just washes all over me, brings me just a nice sense of calm.
0: The other thing that that tends to happen to me, um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the research on awe um but this, no
2: but it's like god to me i'm like this is god
0: yeah and the same thing it's sort of like um one of the things that creates this awe which is sort of like this experience that breaks your current mental model of the world mm-hmm. and forces you to kind of like reassemble it slightly differently mm-hmm. is when you're exposed to just breathtaking natural phenomena mm-hmm. and places like taught the, all the places that you have sort of like said like these are my go-to places they're the places where i mean you drive into Yosemite Valley. Oh, yeah. And you see El Cap on the left. And in a heartbeat, you realize how small you are in the context of this planet.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: And how magnificent it is in all its glory. You know, I. I've been in the States for a while and just with the whole political climate and everything, it just just makes me sad. Like I'm just, it's just not, you know, the things that are going on. I'm like, this isn't where I want to call home. But then I've been driving to all these places and I'm like, oh, there is still beauty here. And there is still this, there's so much, there's still so many great things about it in spite of all the kind of madness that's happening. Um, But we had like a tour guide uh, app as we were driving around Yosemite and they were explaining, I think it was... They were coming to like find Native Americans or something like that. There'd been some conflict and they were coming to capture them. But when they got there, they were just so blown away because no one had seen it before that that one guy jaw was on the floor and they had to be like, we need to get you away before we, we get captured. So just, you know, it does. It's it's breathtaking. It stops you in your tracks.
0: Yeah. It's really incredible. Um, so let, let's take a little bit of a jump back in time. Um, yeah. you grew up in, um, part of West London, which I guess a lot of people really know as it, it's got like a huge Punjab Indian, um, population. A lot of people call it little India.
2: Mm-hmm. Good curry,
0: right? It's like, how do you leave that and find curry <laughs> oh, that matches America
2: up? <laughs> has no idea what a curry is. <laughs> I, I realized that a long time ago, although I found a vegan, um, Indian place in Culver city and they their flavors are good. I, I appreciate that one. But up until that point, I one place I'd gone to, um, a friend had recommended it, and one of the dishes just tastes like it had marinara sauce in it. I was like, marinara sauce is not Indian. <laughs> what is that? But sorry, yeah, definitely like the curries.
0: There are certain things you just don't mess with. Like you can't put marinara sauce <laughs> in curry. It's like it's like one of like breaking some sort of like you know time space continuum type right. of thing. Right. Um, so, so tell me, I'm, I'm curious what it was like growing up in that, in that, uh, kind of neighborhood.
2: It's interesting. Cause it was all I ever knew. Um, I was raised in one place until I was 18 and then I went to drama school and I, I moved away for drama school. So I'd only ever known that, um, what was fun was, you know, everyone, everyone was a mix. White people that weren't, were the ma- minority in Southall, it was Indian and Pakistani and then black and then white. And so it was, it was very, uh, diverse, which was nice. And so I enjoyed it for that. One thing that I struggled with is because a lot of my friends' parents were very strict. A lot of them either had Muslim parents or strict Indian parents. So a lot of my friends weren't allowed to go out. And so it was quite lonely. It would be school and then there would be sort of nothing else to do after that. And I had a few sad, lonely uh, holidays where I just was just sat on my own baking cookies. That was that was one very sad <laughs> Easter break, I remember. I just ate a lot of cookies. But uh, but yeah, so it was it was... It was all I ever knew, and we would travel a lot. My mom was a travel agent uh, when I was growing up, so I've always been here, there, and everywhere. So uh, we would be away a lot. She gave me the bug.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a nice bug to get when you're young. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting because mm-hmm. I have, um talked to like a number of friends um, who grew up in the states here, and friends who are biracial, especially who grew up in the states here, would almost to the one sort of like share stories about, especially when they were kids. I think a lot of them sort of like start to figure out. Um, had to be in the world a little bit differently as adults, but as kids, this feeling of being other, of not quite fitting in, in any one particular group or even with themselves mm. and any one particular identity. Mm. But it was always in this country, it was almost always in the context of like a larger white culture. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to me that, you know, like here are you with a, a white mom, Baham and dad in the broader culture of not, a, not, not like a, a predominantly white culture, but Indian um, and Pakistani. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And
0: I'm I'm wondering if in that, if you felt any of that also.
2: You know, I I feel really lucky to have been raised in that environment because I, I never felt I never felt other in school, uh, in, in in places like that, in in Southall, as diverse as it was, um, because I was w- raised by my white mum in England, and had all well, my family in England were white. I was literally the black sheep of the family. <laughs> um, when we would go to places that were sort of out of the city in the country, then I would feel other, and I would feel different. And so that was that was. Odd. But then being back in Southall, it's just there's just colour everywhere. So then it was never a thing. One thing that I always thought was odd was that. Indian and Pakistani, because there's a lot of conflict uh, between the countries, like they would be using racial slurs against each other. And it was something that I always thought, you know, you know what it's like to experience racism from people. Why are you dishing it out to each other? I I always thought that was a little bit odd, but I I never felt anything directed towards me. And then moving to the US, I thought that it was really interesting as a mixed race person, there doesn't seem to be any acknowledgement of mixed race. It's just you are black you know, that's you're black because you have brown skin, you're black. And, and I guess it, it goes back to the, the black drop rule. And um, my take on that is, you know, I I don't abide by slave terminology. <laughs> you know, I, I have a white parent and a black parent, I'm mixed race. And so that was something that was interesting. It, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I just thought that it was interesting that, you know, there doesn't seem to be an acknowledgement of somebody who has parents of different races. And I think the reason that I that I think it is important just to not make assumptions is because somebody might look at me and go, you're black, and then have a completely different idea of what my upbringing is or was. And people can think what they like. But I just think that it's nice to uh, get to know somebody without putting labels on them. And so that's why it would be great if we could acknowledge people who are different races. And I think it's kind of cool. Like, it's nice to be able to say, my my mom's English, my dad's from the Bahamas, you know, it's...
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so interesting, right? Because on the one hand, when you sort of like try and put somebody in a sort of like a quote identity box, Mm. um, there's almost like two different lenses on that. One is you're doing that so you can... uh, understand how they're different from you, mm-hmm. um, which can either be a wonderful thing. Like, how cool is that, mm-hmm. that you have grown up with profoundly different life experiences to tell me more? Like, I really want to know you. I want to know your life. I want to know how it's been different than mine because like we can learn about each other. It's amazing. And then let's figure out how we're the same. Mm-hmm. But then the other, the other box is, you know, like I want to put you in this identity box so that I can keep you different from me. Mm-hmm you know, yeah. and, and I think too often we default to the latter. Um, right. and I think also there's, you know, if we could just focus so much on, like you said, acknowledge how we're different and then also like dance with how we're the same yeah. and then just blend that all into one big conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, um, that, that acne bug bit you pretty young too.
2: Yeah, that was a funny one. Um, I'd done school plays when I was young and that was, I just loved it. I was uh, the artful dodger in Oliver, this like cheeky, cheeky thing. That was kind of like my first taste of school plays. But um, I remember making the decision when I was about 13 and it was, I want to be famous. And it was really sad because I think what it was, was I felt very lonely and I felt like I didn't have sort of close friends. And I remember the wanting to be famous was this thing of people knowing me and liking me and loving me. I think that was what it was, this idea that maybe famous people have better lives. You know, I, I kind of know a bit more about it now. At the time, my stepfather was um, the photographer for the Backstreet Boys for years. They were like the biggest boy band at the time. And so I would, you know, go off and be on tour with them and backstage. And I was just, you know, this, oh, wow, fame, huh? Ah, you know. And so I remember making the decision for acting because I wanted to be wanted or a I guess. And then I started to delve into it. And first of all, it was singing. My singing isn't anywhere near good enough to be a, a pop star. So I gave up on that pretty quick. And dancing, I can dance all right, but not the best. But acting definitely was something that I resonated with. And I went to a, an amazing drama school in the UK called the Brit School. And people like Adele and Amy yeah. Winehouse and all sorts of amazing people have come out of that school. And it was the first time in my life at 16 that I was... I did. I performed well at school. Like I, I did well uh, academically, but I didn't like it. I didn't like being told what to do. I thought it was all boring and completely pointless. But this was the first time in my life that I was doing something that I loved. With you know my people, with you know the the musical theatre people, it was incredible. And so I did musical theatre, and uh, we worked on singing, dancing, and acting, and acting was the, the place where I felt I could, I could jam. And I remember doing one exercise where you take an emotion from the, the, the basic, you know, the essence of it, and then you heighten it. And I think mine was fear. And I did this exercise and I went from like, no, no fear to like absolutely petrified. And it had really, it really affected the people in the class. People watching were kind of traumatized by my, uh, you know, doing this exercise. And that was the first time I realized the power of acting and how you can change or how you can evoke feelings in people through a performance. And, and I also just like being in it, you know, when I'm acting and I'm I'm in a character and you just, you know, all of that noise, normal head noise goes away and you're just kind of in this new thing. I just, I just love it for that. So yeah, that's been my Passion
0: ever since. Uh, It's so interesting that the thing that originally brought it brought you to it was uh, almost a sense of loneliness, and 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 assuming that fame would would take make that go away, right?
2: Um,
0: And yet that um, the thing that kept you in it um, for a long time was it sounds like just the way it made you feel, and also the way that you realized you doing it could make other feel or, yeah. or invite people into a feeling almost collectively.
2: It's, yeah. It's, it's powerful and it's, it's fun. And I took a little bit of a, a, a gap, some time off acting in 2016 when I started uplifting content and, um, I went traveling too. I, I did like three months around South America where I had people from the audience tell me where to go and things to do. That was really fun. And I traveled for a couple of years after that and, and did up the uh, uplifting content stuff. But there was always this calling back to acting. It's, it's always there, you know, and every time I try to drop it, it's there. And it is, it's that it's the being in it. It's the impact that you can have. And then it's also the collaboration you know, working, being on set that it reminded me back in the day when I was in Oliver, the, the first school play and we we're all kind of like hanging out backstage and it's all dark and everyone's like, Ooh, you know, about to go on. And it's just the magic of
0: it. Yeah. It's incredible. Um,
2: Have you ever performed? You do speaking.
0: Right. I, I speak a fair amount, okay. um, you know, and I'm, um, I'm super comfortable. You can put me on a stage in front of 5,000 people and I'm, I'm fine. Mm. Um, I'm also very introverted. So as soon as I'm done, you know, I have friends that are raging extroverts and all they want to do when they're done is just, you know, like sit down on the stage and work the audience and answer questions yeah. for hours and hours until they get thrown out of the theater. And for me, when I'm done, I'm kind of like, okay, that was awesome. Where's like the backstage edit that, that takes me out where <laughs> I don't see any people. I'm just walking quietly on my own for an hour because as much as I love it, the experience of it leaves me empty. And I need right. solitude to kind of refill where other people they're done with it and all you know, I have very close friends where they just they want more and more and more. And being in solitude is what actually empties them out. I'm actually i I'm curious where you fall along there.
2: You know, it's a great question because I'd interviewed someone for my podcast who does a lot of stuff in She talks about that introverts and extroverts. And I think she explained that I'm an amnivert, which is mm, right I matter. I do ch- I I do get my charge from being around people. Um, but there's some like large group environments where I I freak out and I just need to be away and so yeah I think I I lean more extroverted but there's definitely uh, group situations where I just want to run and and hide and be on my own but I think it's so fascinating was there a really great I think it was a really great TED talk about that you know the, the how for introverts how sometimes they get just kind of steamed over by extroverts. They've got all these ideas, but you just have to be willing to kind of give them the space to to, to you know, do it or say it or whatever. Um, whereas extroverts can be the ones that just, you know, I have to be mindful of myself not to steamroll through and <laughs> let other people be.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And um, the TED talk was actually a, a friend of mine, Susan Kane, who wrote the book oh, Quiet. Amazing. Um,
2: amazing.
0: And yeah, it was, I, I remember reading that book and thinking to myself, you are in my head.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I was like, this is my life. I need to get 10 copies and give Very it cool. to everybody to just sort of explain how I am in the world. Um, right. And I think uh, a lot of, you know, when that book came out, actually, because I remember Susan telling me something like a third of the world identifies strongly as introverts. And, but society is built around the aspiration to be an extrovert. Mm-hmm. so you 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 either assume or you're told or like the structures of work make you feel like you're broken or wrong, right? When you just do the thing you naturally do, if you're an introvert, and the book was like this thing that made you say, no, you're actually amazing the way you are. In fact, there are incredible mm-hmm. benefits to that orientation. So embrace yeah. it.
2: but we just need to have better understanding of how we all operate, yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Twenty-five and one. Thirty-seven thousand businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. Twenty-five. NetSuite turns twenty-five this year. That's twenty-five years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in. One place and right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free at netsuite.com/goodlife. That's netsuite.com/goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com/goodlife. I'm curious about this um the the linkage that you have between fame and um loneliness hmm. when you started acting. It sounds like acting became this thing where eventually it actually gave you what you wanted, but, um, whatever level of fame would accompany that, you know, was long off for you. Did you start to make an association at some point that, well, well, I actually feel better, but it wasn't about fame. It was just about belonging or being around people who sort of like were more like me.
2: I think that uh, when I was uh, in my mid-20s, I started really getting into personal development. And I'd had had depression a lot when I was younger. And a lot of that came from loneliness. I used to say that I was a lonely child. That's what I thought you were when you were just one. You didn't have any siblings. A lonely child. It's only. I never knew that until a couple of years ago. Um, so I was raised on my own, um, single mum that was working. And then, you know, in an environment where I didn't really have many friends to go out and do stuff. And so I was very much in my head and um, had a lot of depression growing up. And then mid-20s, I started getting into personal development and understanding my, uh, I got to grips with my thoughts and I was realizing how destructive um, and damaging my thoughts were and the things that I was saying. So, I mean, I would beat myself up. And so I think that back in the day, this idea that being famous would somehow make people love me and care and be interested. I think that was a story based on my understanding. And then moving to LA to pursue acting, it was I was I was growing uh with my personal development and kind of waking up to to stuff. And so I think that shifted. I think that that was the thing that made me think fame isn't the answer. And it, it became less about acting to be famous and accepted and more about acting because I just love the experience of doing it and I and I realized that that's what it was and also I'd had a little little bit of fame as, as I had this kind of nice brush with fame being part of this um Game for years. I, I got this job when I first came to LA um, for this game called Ingress, and it's the same company that make Pokemon Go, and that they've got like a Harry Potter game out now. But before Pokemon Go, that went crazy, Ingress was the big game, and um, I was sort of like a, a character in it. I would have a, t- I had a show that would talk about what was happening in the game, and it went out to like the thousands of players, and they would have these events where. Five thousand people would descend in a in a city and play the game, and I would run around and interview people, and you know announce the winner at the end to these like big stadiums full of people. Basically, I felt like a rock star. It was awesome. And I remember once in Hong Kong, I was um, they'd flown me to Hong Kong, and uh, the space that they had for the after for the after thing wasn't big enough, so they only had like two thousand people in the thing. And I was signing autographs because I'm I'm like your colleagues after talks, like I would want to sign autographs. So I was like, it's so cool. And it's probably harping back to the people. People love me thing, but I would want to sign all the autographs. And I remember being there, and everyone had, we we had a big group picture, and I got swamped by people pretty much. And but it was in Hong Kong, so they were very respectful and nice about it. And then they had to try and like sneak me out because we didn't know how to get out. So I'd gone in an instant from being this like huge star, and then they snuck me out the back door, and I just walked out the back door, and I was on the street. No one had a clue who I was. Nobody, and it was just this real. Inc- I was so glad that I had that experience to be like fame is nothing it's it's it all it is is what people put on you it's not a tangible thing like it's just such a I don't even know how to describe it but it was just so funny to go from that you know everybody is all about you know Susanna Moyer and me whatever and then I leave and I'm just (laughs) you're just a girl walking down the street I'm glad that I had that experience and and so then you know and then I so that was kind of the most famous I guess I've been I have people recognize me for some other things now and again but it's I, I didn't get that superstardom fame, and so I obviously had to find peace and happiness <laughs> in other ways. And that came from the personal development stuff too. It
0: was yeah, a journey. I, yeah, and right for all of us. Um, I mean, the um, it's funny, I, I often would wonder, um, you know, in New York, there are a lot of celebrities that live in New York City, but as a general rule, Even if you recognize them walking down the street, which happens on a pretty regular basis, the ethos is New York is you just like you just you pretend you don't, you know you just (laughs) keep moving by. You're standing next to you know like an A-list movie star ordering Mm -hmm. locks at the deli or whatever it is, and they're right next to you and you're like stuffing it in their face with their hands, and it's just like well you're just New Yorkers, Um, and I often wondered whether um, a lot of people in the entertainment industry or professional athletes and stuff like that ended up, you know, living in New York city because it is this weird phenomenon where it's a city where you can just kind of still go outside and do your thing. And as a general rule, you're just kind of like among everybody else who's there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you think about social media right now mm-hmm. and fame, you know, there's this incredible push to be, you know, people want to be famous just
1: ben for being famous. It.
0: Yeah, And I remember reading, um, a study, I think it was about two, three years ago, where a whole bunch of people were asked, um, would you rather be J-Lo's personal assistant or the president of Harvard? And there were a whole bunch of other people that they could have opted sort of like between those, but those were like the two ends of the spectrum. And um, people almost in, invariably, and this was, they interviewed people like in their late teens, early twenties, mm-hmm. almost to the one, they said J-Lo's assistant. Number two under J-Lo was Jesus. So they w- would wow. rather be Lo's assistant than Jesus. <laughs> um, just something so perverse wow. about that. But I'm, I'm fascinated by this phenomenon of fame for fame's sake and mm. how it's kind of rewiring people to aspire to something that I, I just, I get really concerned that it leaves them so much emptier than they began.
2: Totally. And it, I, I, cause I feel like I was an early version of that before before. And I think it's, I think now it's even worse, I suppose, because people are seeing how famous people can get from just, you know, having an Instagram account or just, you know, doing outrageous things or whatever people are doing. And I guess they're like, oh, that looks like a good life choice or a good career. But I definitely think that it will leave people empty. I mean, I, I really struggle because uplifting content is a social media platform. And I, I really am not into social media anymore. And I'm sort of trying to find that balance between having this platform and putting out nice uplifting messages, but also not wanting to spend my time doing it. You know, I've been going back and forth with that for a couple of years now. Like, how do I see myself with social media? And then again, it's just the impact that it has. I don't scroll through it very much anymore. I've, I've managed to stop myself doing that because I just found that it would make me feel uh, that I would compare myself to other people or, you know, and then sometimes the, the, the whole idea of posting something and thinking, how is this going to get the likes? Is this going to be a good caption? You know, what, what, just the, the thought that goes into it to try and maximize the, I just don't like it. <laughs> I really don't I'm raising like my it,
0: hand but, along with yeah. you. I have a, it's not even a love hate relationship with it. It's just like a dislike hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time i also know that it, it that it is you know like in its essence it's neutral it's a platform that can be used for good for evil and for everything in between and the mm-hmm. way that we choose to interact with it you know determines um which end of that spectrum that we land on both personally when we're creating and using it for distribution and interaction and also when we're just consuming Consuming. there. And yet the, you know, underneath the hood of every platform are a couple thousand developers, you know, like working to figure out how to make it as (laughs) irresistible Mm -hmm. and downable as humanly possible. So, but at the same time, amazing things can happen because of the way that people leverage it. So I think it is, it's a really interesting dance Mm -hmm. that I think we're all trying to figure out these days.
2: Yeah. And I think I've gone the other way now with the fame in that I just, uh, I, I like my privacy, you know. I feel like I've, I've just I'm on the other side of the spectrum now, where I, I post occasionally, but you know, I've, I've got someone that helps me with social media. It's like D- you need to be posting more personal things. I was like, I don't want everybody to know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I like just to keep to myself. So I've definitely yeah,
0: I mean, change. But you're right, it is new. Yeah, content. and actually, well, I want to get into uplifting content. But even before then, you know, it's interesting with that frame that you just shared, um, because while you started a lot of your work, started sort of like you know, like on stages and before screens. You fairly quickly also, um, not transition, but like a solid chunk of your work became audio work, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, audiobook narration and just voice based acting, which is this mm-hmm. really fascinating transition to me because you get to have that same expressive experience. You know, you get to know that you're affecting people. You get to sort of like move yourself into the process. And yet it's a mm-hmm. way for you to sort of be a bit more invisible when you're out in public too.
2: It's true. It's true. Yeah. I'm a lot more picky with my, with my on-camera stuff than I am voiceover because I'm like, yeah, you know, it's me. (laughs) Not everyone's going to know it's me. Um, but yeah. Oh, I had a quick question for you, um, with being an introvert and, uh, was it difficult to, now you're comfortable on stage. Was it difficult getting into speaking? How was that process for you?
0: Yeah. You know, for me it's a really gradual evolution. Um, Mm. you know, just starting, I actually, probably the beginning of me as a speaker was actually as a teacher first. Um, mm-hmm. I owned a yoga studio that we opened in the shadow of 9-11 in New York City. And mm. I taught for seven years. So, you know, I was just out on the floor, you know, like wearing essentially pajamas, bare feet and a t-shirt um, in a room packed with people mat to mat for 90 minutes, sometimes a couple of times a day, all mm-hmm. week long. And I think it, that became a bit of a laboratory for me you know because yeah. i owned the facility i mm-hmm. created the culture i created the container and then i invited everybody in and they sort of like turned it into something extraordinary i became one of you know many teachers who were just beautiful beautiful human beings but mm-hmm. that that to me was probably a proving ground and a place where i just tested and tested and tried a lot of different things and then over time i think mm-hmm. when i started to step out of that and and into a different space it gave me um a certain amount of confidence so i still would still get nervous and i don't get a, all that nervous these days unless mm. it's an an audience that i really know i'm not them um right, and it's right. really really big and in a venue where um mm. it's not my normal venue um mm-hmm. i would imagine it's, it's similar to a certain extent with acting in like different stages or theaters and things like that
2: Yeah, it can be. um, Beginning of the year, I got a tiny role. don't even know if I'll be in it, make the final cut, but in um, Black Widow, Mm. the Marvel movie. And I just remember being like, you have to be cool. You have to be cool. (laughs) Don't freak out. (laughs) And um, I got there and it was actually fine. I was really impressed with how fine I was because I'd I'd done another, a few years ago, I was in CSI Cyber and I did my scene with Patricia Patricia Arquette just when she'd got her Oscar like a few months prior. And, um, I remember being very nervous for that and I had a very emotional scene and I think I just, I just wasn't happy with how I did. And so, um, yeah, it's when it's, you know, out of an environment that I'm used to, uh, I, I, do get a little bit nervous, but I meditated on it and I was, I felt good this time. So,
0: yeah. T- tell me more about, um, I know you shared that you're, you really start to explore personal development and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, so you ended up launching, I guess, uplifting content kind of started it seems like as let's talk about it and, you know this started as a podcast back in 2015 ish something yeah. something like that yeah. um and it was interesting because if you go all the way back you know like sort of like into the archives you see you interviewing a whole lot of people and then there's like this season i don't know it feels like maybe a year or two in where you start to take the mic a lot mm-hmm. and you're just like there's something on my mind that i need to actually talk about and it, it felt like that lasted, I don't know, three six months or something like that, where you were just mm. regularly in there saying, "Okay, this is what's on my mind." I'm curious what was going on then.
2: Yeah, I um, so uh, Prince E A is this uh, really amazing influencer guy. He does spoken word stuff, and he's just an incredible human being. And um, it was about 2015. I had auditioned for a video of his and met him on set, and I just just blown away by everything that he does, and I I just remember saying you're doing everything that I want to do you know you're creating stuff that has such a powerful message and you're doing in such a delivering it in such a beautiful way and um we stayed in touch and he was really um supportive of me um I'd I think I'd started doing the podcast before I met him and uh and then I, I I was also videoing them as well because I was listening to podcasts a lot and, and I like the idea of making videos but I like the 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 fact that podcasts can be longer and you can have a conversation like not everybody has the patience to sit and watch a video for an hour but they'll listen to a podcast on a drive for example and so I I, I just happened to film them and was speaking and so they started off like that just me let's talk about you know whatever and then I I started interviewing people as and when and he. Um, he'd actually shared one of the videos that I'd done about depression and it went viral and and it was, it really resonated with a lot of people. It was about my experience and some of the things that I've done to help me deal with it in the past and overcome it when I'm in a really low place. And so, uh, yeah, that kind of began the thing. And then with the podcast, it was weird. I've been doing it. I I haven't done it this year. I, I put a hold on it, but I did it all consistently interviewing people pretty much 2019. I was consistent. That was really fun. But then there'll be just sometimes where I find a topic I just want to go off and talk about myself, just sort of my experience. And so I I think I did stuff on um, Suicide Prevention Week or um, just whatever's on my mind. And if I haven't got hold of a guest, then I'm like, let me just have a little chat with you for now. So, yeah. And so I, I think what it was was me experimenting between you know, making videos or doing a podcast. And so it was a bit of like, I'm inspired to make a video and then I'll use the audio for the podcast. So I think that was what happened. And again, like I, I really like making videos, um, but there's just something about the consistency. I don't know the pressure of it. With the podcast, it was easy to be consistent and interview people, but I don't always have the inspiration to say anything. And so I sometimes I would do it and then sometimes I wouldn't. And so I, I, I'm not the best you know, YouTuber influencer with, I don't have the consistency. So it was obviously just whenever I was inspired to say something that was when <laughs> those ones were happening.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was curious. Um, so I'm, it's funny, I, you know, we've been producing, and I've been hosting this, this podcast, good life project for, well, I guess we started good life project in 2012, but, um, I still consider myself probably first and foremost, a writer. And yeah. I very often I'm in my head a lot and I think I know what I think about a topic a lot. And then I realized that, um, I literally, you know, like I'm just finishing off a book right now. And, and I really thought I I understood what I thought about this particular topic. And then mm-hmm. I started writing about it and I'm like, Oh no, like I, I, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't anywhere close. It, it isn't very often. It isn't until I write that I really understand what I think about a thing. And what I was curious about when I start to see you just sort of like, sitting behind a mic and sort of like talking through these things was I was I was like, I'm wondering, is audio maybe your sense making channel?
2: 100%. 100%. I struggle so hard with writing. And um, so writing the book was really tough for me. I, I had I had help with it. And I I found that difficult with help. Um, but speaking is is my method of communication. It's a lot easier for me to and especially when I'm in sort of flow with just, you know, things come out and I'm like that's what I meant (laughs) writing I get stuck you know I'm stuck on the point can't quite figure out how to write it down and so when I was um, dabbling in speaking too I found that very difficult you know there was the writing out a, a speech and then having to kind of learn it but that didn't feel very right and then I found the best way would just have sort of headers and things that I would touch on. And then I can just, I know what I want to say. And then I just say it from there. So that worked better for me. But yeah, it's definitely speaking as my jam.
0: Yeah. It, it was interesting because you could almost hear it like in your voice, you're sort of like, you're explaining to yourself how you feel about this thing until you get to a point where you're like, oh, I think I've got it. Mm-hmm, and then it was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm good. Even though, <laughs> but, but like the audience would follow you along, you know, sort of like, yeah. well, okay, I think we've all got it now actually. So <laughs> it's really because for me as somebody who's like goes through that process but you know with the written work it's interesting, it's interesting to just see how other people get to that similar place and what the mechanisms are yeah so what starts out kind of as videos and then a podcast, it turns eventually into this thing called uplifting content, which is yeah. really a platform, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and now a book. what makes you want to say, okay, like I need to turn this into something bigger.
2: Um, well it was, it was getting to know Prince EA and just seeing the impact that he was having with his, with his stuff. And it was a time where I was starting to feel like I'd hit a wall with acting things. Like I wasn't Progressing in a way that I wanted to progress, I just felt a little bit frustrated with it. And I also like this idea of uh, just have, being able to have take responsibility for something and create something rather than waiting for people to cast me in a project or give me a job. I was like, "You've got the resources; just make something." And so, yeah, it it it, st- it was it went through all these different phases of what it would be. Originally, it was like a production company um, producing, you know, this. This uh, videos in the sort of similar style to what he did, but I was I was very new to it. I didn't have the the resources or the know how at the time, and then it became um, like a, a hub of inspiration where I would curate videos and articles and things from other people. So that, you know, at the time, I think people were just tired of all the noise and the, the stressful things that were being shared on Facebook. And so I, we got a lot of comments, just people being really grateful just to have a nice a page full of uplifting content for them. Um, and so that sort of, it stayed in that lane. It's been in that lane for a while. Um, and then the idea for the book came about, again, I'm always going back and forth with social media. Like, how do I feel about it? You know, I've got this platform. I don't want people to be sat on my Facebook page every day. You know, I want them to be living their best lives or connecting with people or or whatever. So I was like, I don't want to make it all about social media. And then the idea for the book came around um, last year. And um, the whole point from the platform really was when I had dealt with depression previously, I hated it. I hated feeling that way and, you know, not wanting to get out of bed and just feeling so low. And I would always try to find things to watch or read or listen to that would kind of pull me out of that and just, you know, just shift my thinking to a more uh, constructive, positive way. And, And it was hard to find uplifting content. So the idea of the platform was, you know, a page full of stuff that, People can learn from or be inspired by or, you know, feel good, feel good stuff. And um, with the book too, there's so many the, the, it's so stressful right now. There's a lot of things that are going on that are very stressful, and it makes you question what's happening with the world, and you know, people are awful and there's all these horrible things. And th- that's what media had done. It was starting to make me feel hopeless and sad and depressed. But I don't want to succumb to that because I know that there are thousands, millions of people, incredible human beings doing wonderful things every day. We just have a really unbalanced uh, news me- media is, is unbalanced. We're not hearing any of those stories. And so th- the platform on the book is pretty much for my own well-being too of just, you know, let's, let's pay attention to some incredible people and amazing things that are happening and, and let that uh, lift you up and inspire you and, and motivate you.
0: Yeah, I mean it's um I think so often we create what we need ourselves. Yeah right? we put, yes. it, put it out into the world. Right. It's why that's yeah. why most therapists are therapists because they really yeah. need it <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, wow, this stuff works. Awesome. I want to share it with the world. Yeah. Um you know, it's interesting that um, you know, you share how you you have sort of like woven in and out of various levels of depression over the years. I know I think it was just a couple of months ago, um, you shared on Instagram, you're like, hey, listen, these months have been really, really hard for me, I had a huge crash in confidence mm-hmm. that made it very tough to promote your work um, yeah. when you're feeling that way about yourself. And that you're, for sure, you're not the only one who mm-hmm. like, was feeling that way this year or has felt that way in so many different times over the years. And yet so often when we feel that way, It's really tough to just feel that way in the first place. And then when we sort of realize how we feel, we shame ourselves for feeling Mm -hmm. that way and not being able to just like buck up and pull out of it and go do the work, especially when we start to feel that way right around the time when we're in theory supposed to be going out there and being very forward facing and promoting Mm -hmm. and launching you know, whatever it may be, whether it's a new project or a book or a movie or an album, or just you and your job or you know, like a local, whatever it is. Um, I'm I'm curious how I want to dip into the, some of the stories from the book, cause there's some really beautiful stories, mm-hmm. but I'm curious how sort of like in this season, just for you, when you're feeling that on a personal level, but you've got something you believe so deeply in that you want to bring to the world. Like how do you navigate sort of like that tension?
2: It was really horrible. It was a really, uh, I, I still kind of don't feel, I feel like I'd let my da- myself down in a way with it. So I still feel a little bit like, ugh, about that. But um, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, just get out of, like, you know, yelling at myself, beating myself up emotionally has never helped. <laughs> and for some people, it does. Some people can give themselves a stern talking to and just buck up and do it you know, I kind of think of people like uh, Tony Robbins and stuff. There's like all of those, like, go get it. You know, I'm not that person. (laughs) I'm not that person and other people aren't that person. And I, I practice kindness, you know, being kind to myself, just making the effort to do what I could. And then another thing that I felt was that I'd, I'd kind of told myself that the book needed to be, you know, a New York Times bestseller right out the gate. And then I was, because it wasn't going to be, then I was backing away from doing things because I didn't feel good about it because I thought I was a failure. And the realization that this is something that that can benefit people forever. It doesn't need to be, you know, a New York Times bestseller right out the gate. And um, that kind of took, I put so much pressure on myself and I'm sure other people do too. No one was there um, saying anything to me about what I was doing, but it was me. I, I, I make it so hard for myself and then I freak out. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience, but, um, I feel better about it now. And I'm just sort of making it more of a long-term project rather than the stress of making everything, doing everything in a week.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I was talking to somebody recently who was sort of like, uh, um, actually it was Tal Ben-Jahar, who's sort of like one of the, um, senior people in the world of positive psychology. Mm. And he was kind of saying like, one, one of the ways to get happier is to just lower your expectations.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: you know, yeah. and, but, but he's like, actually there's research around that, that um, yeah. it's not about giving up. It's not about being complacent, but it's about, you know, when you just sort of like lower your expectations and saying like when you can get to a place where good enough is good enough, like that is something where you can more consistently hit it and feel better about yourself and doing that. And it creates this upward mm-hmm. spiral.
2: Totally. I, I remember being with acting when I was like, you need to be an Oscar winner again, like giving myself all these, I must achieve this. Um, and then I wasn't, you know, getting there as an actress, I was devastated. Like I just felt like such a failure. And now, now I've changed it to anytime I get to act is, is the gift is the, you know, I'm, I'm acting cause I love acting. That's what it's all about. I've got enough things going on to keep me financially stable. So now I can do this because I love it. So, and I feel way better and I, I feel much better about acting because of that. So yeah, I think that's was a great point.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the reframe, right? It's sort of like, yeah. okay, so if my circumstances are the same, but I change the questions I'm asking about it or the way I see it, it just totally changes the way that you are around it, the way you experience it, which is great to do also when you're, when you're in the middle of something where you really don't have control over mm-hmm, the circumstances, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like publishing a book during a pandemic.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Let, let's talk a little bit more about the book, right? It's sort of like split into a bunch of different categories, human connection, mm-hmm. acts of service, passion, purpose, game changers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really story driven, which I love because what do we relate to? You know, as human beings, we love stories. There mm-hmm. and we touch down on a couple of stories because there are a few mm-hmm. that um there's probably some that you know, you can never say you you have favorites as an author because like it's like <laughs> I, I mean, would I never really... ask you like what's your favorite, your favorite first people ask me that all the time about the podcast, like who's your favorite guest? I'm like, A, I will never yeah. answer that, but B, I don't like it doesn't work that way.
2: <laughs> no. I don't, I don't think I have a favorite podcast episode and I honestly don't think I have a favorite story because I loved speaking to everybody with them. I was so moved by the stories that I got, like, yeah, it's, and then depending on my mood or what I'm thinking of in a given day, will 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 be the one that I mentioned to somebody, you know, what they're going through. Oh, you need to read that story, you know?
0: Yeah, it's sort of like they each speak to a different thing. Um, mm-hmm. The story of um, Denise Sandoval, i don't know if I'm pron- pronouncing her yeah, first yeah, name yeah, right. Um, Denise, yeah. Can you share some of that story because I thought it was really interesting?
2: Yeah, she's an incredible woman. She, um, uh, she moved, she moved to San Francisco um, and adopted a child. So her um, family's very multiracial, and she was driving around uh, one of the really poor areas in San Francisco, and it was just shocked by how much poverty there, were, there was, And um, the taxi driver turned to her and said, you know, welcome to the land of broken dreams. And she was just horrified by it. And one of the things that really stuck out to me from the interview was that she said, nobody, no, when they were growing up, nobody really thought, nobody wanted this for, the, for their lives. You know, we all have hopes and dreams and this isn't anyone's dream. And it really resonated with her because her daughter was adopted from the system. And she's like, you know, that could have been the life of my, my daughter. And so she created this um, company called Lava May, where they converted a bunch of old city buses that, the, for whatever reason, the, the government were giving away or scrapping these city buses. And she took them and converted them into mobile showers and has this company where she's uh, driving around to homeless uh, sort of places and allowing people to uh, take showers in these really gorgeous bathrooms. And the idea behind it is just giving people their dignity back. Because she's like, now how can you, how can you go and get a job or apply for a job or just feel good about yourself when you're not clean? And so, yeah, that was sort of the idea of it. And it's it's kind of grown from there. And she uh, she'll do sort of like events with other uh, nonprofits. will work together and and go and service uh, people in these areas and. I I struggle with there's so much homelessness in LA um, and it really gets to me that I just, you know, it's weird. Like I'll see people running around in the street trying to catch a dog, you know, like a dog's loose and everybody's, everybody rallies to take care of the dog. And then there's like hundreds of people like looking like they're dead on the floor on the street in LA and you don't do anything. And it's just like, Oh, um, you know, what, what is that? And so she's just an amazing woman who is doing something and is meeting people Uh, where they're at and, and, and helping. And at the end of every story in the book, there's like an exercise or a call to action. And her one is just to, um, you know, when you see someone in the street, just to acknowledge them, say hi, smile. She'd had one woman that she, she passed her in the street and said, hello. And the woman was shocked. She was like, I I can't believe you see me. No one's seen me. No one's seen or acknowledged me in a week. The first person to acknowledge me and just, you know, giving people their dignity back just by acknowledging them, you know, it's, yeah. it's something we can do very easily.
0: I mean, it's such a beautiful story. Um, mm. And that point that you're making also about when you're homeless or living with homelessness, you literally don't exist right. um, to so many other people. I remember years back um, was in a community kind named Mark Horvath started um, something called invisible people where he was homeless mm. and he experienced that. And he was like, I can do something about it. So he started taking these little videos uh, people mm. who are homeless and just posting them online, just um, to let people like know that these are human beings who have stories. Um, mm. One of the things I also really loved about uh, Janice's story is there was no model for what she did.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it, it
0: wasn't like, okay, so how do I how do I like make a difference in this problem? Like, there was no book where you just flip it open, and you're like, okay, step one, go find <laughs> you know like school buses that the city is giving away for you know like pennies on the dollar. It was just like sitting there and saying, let me forget all the rules and all the boundaries and all the constraints. And like, what is the universe of possibilities here? Like, how can I make this happen?
2: Yeah. And I, you know, she, she kind of explained that she knew that she wanted to do something because she had that experience in the cab and was horrified by it. And then shortly after that, she had, um, she'd seen a, she doesn't, she doesn't call people homeless. She calls them unhoused, which is again, just very sweet. She's such a beautiful woman. Um, She'd seen an unhoused person who was just saying that, you know, she couldn't get clean. And so then that was, oh, showers. And then she'd read about this, the government giving away the buses. And was like, oh my goodness. And sort of pieced it all together. And I, there's just something about that, you know, the universe and these downloads. And there's, there's many times where, I've had it drop in and I've just acted on it. I mean, even with the book that was like, all right, we're doing it. Um, And I think we get them, we get them a lot, but we need to be able to listen to them. And then we need to be willing to act on them, even if it seems crazy. But yeah, they, they
0: happen all the time. Yeah. I mean, Janice was a really, a beautiful story of somebody who was sort of like a little bit further into life saying, okay, so how can I Make a difference. Um, one of the other stories, Destiny um, Watford, was sort of like on on the other end of life, you know, like much yeah. younger. Um, share share yeah. a little bit about her story.
2: Oh, she's incredible. Um, when she was sixteen, uh, she's uh, from this town where in Baltimore, where the, the pollution was just outrageous, um, and she discovered that near her school, this company had been given uh, permits to build a trash incinerator that would have pumped you know, deadly amounts of, of lead and mercury into the atmosphere. But because it was a trash incinerator, they had um, labelled it green, uh, green energy. And so they were allowed to get around all of these rules. You know, you can't, you can't build power plants next to schools, but because it was now green energy, they could build it right by the school. And she had, so she kind of had heard about that. And then she'd gone on a school trip to see a Henrik Ibsen play. Oh, what is it called again? Uh, but it's basically about this town realizing that there's uh pollution in there in their um like uh, hot tubs is that what we'd call them not hot tubs but sort of natural hot springs but the the problem was do you uh, stop people using these hot springs and then the town loses its money or do you allow people to continue using it and then the town has money and then but then people get sick which is kind of as i'm saying this now a very covid <laughs> specific problem Um, and so she kind of had that awakening to like, no, we need to do something. We need to take care of people. It's not just about the money. Um, and then, so that all happened at the same time. And she took on this power plant (laughs) and got the whole thing shut down. It took like a year. She mobilized this group of, uh, friends. They, they started this organization. They went knocking on doors. They had meetings with the school board. They basically went around the power plant had uh, got all these contracts with different people, including their school. You know, this power plant was going to make the kids sick, um, but the school was buying the energy because it was cheaper. Um, And they'd gone to all of these different places to say, you know, this is how dangerous this thing is. We don't think you should uh, go into business with them. So it took away all the, uh, all of their uh, uh, companies. Um, And then, yeah, it just became this long battle. It, It was even more than that to get the thing shut down, but she didn't give up and she's, she I think she's an introvert too um and for her it was it was a struggle you know being stepping up but she was moved enough to do it and I I find that so incredible at 16 to be that moved and yeah and what I love about her too is just we have power you know people forget we have so much power to do stuff um you know, it wasn't just her. And, and, and she said that, you know, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just a single effort. It was everybody coming together to, to make it happen. But, you know, she was the catalyst and that brought people together, but we can do, we can, we can make changes.
0: We can, you know, it really is a beautiful awakening, you know, mm. to sort of, um, realize that no matter your age, um, no matter your resources, that, you know, you can in some way, shape or form, invest in change. And What's interesting to me also is, you know, like Denise is sort of like somebody who's looking at a problem from the outside in, you know, Destiny is somebody who's looking at a problem from the inside out. You know, she mm-hmm. is going to be directly affected. Everyone she loves is mm-hmm. going to be directly affected by this. And very often from that perspective, it's sort of like, it's a much harder thing to deal with. Um, and understandably so, you know, when yeah. you are a member of the community that's actually experiencing the harm it's a different conversation and a different lift um, mm. to be able to, to step into it and say, okay, how do I help? Um, it's really, I just, it's really inspiring to sort of like see the different stories of how people from totally different walks of life come about it and deal with mm. the adversity that comes their way. When I zoom the lens out, when I think about you know, this book and, and the platform that you're building now, and we sort of almost go all the way back to why in the very beginning, not originally when you were drawn to acting because you wanted to be famous, but once sort of like the penny dropped and you're like, oh, I can create something that helps people feel and reconnect what matters. Mm -hmm. It feels like you sort of like circled back to this um, and Mm -hmm. this is the most recent, just continuing evolution of that early impulse.
2: Yes. I just want people to feel good. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah, just just wanting to lift people up, wanting to feel good, because I know what it's like to feel that low. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful that I'm not in those, when I do feel depressed or low, it's not as crippling as it used to be. And the further away I am from that, I, I kind of forget, but it was horrible. It was so horrible to wake up feeling dread, to feel like there was no hope. And I just want to be able to do what I can to help people that may be going through the same thing with whatever mode it is, whether it's a video, whether it's a meme on our Facebook page, whether it's the book, just offer that as a way to just encourage and, and help people out. And I, and again, I feel like I'm, sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I think it's just the same, the same messages and offering the same stuff because at different points it will land with somebody, you know, in this way that I say it. And so yeah, I definitely feel like that's my, my mission.
0: Mm, it's beautiful. Um, feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. So hanging mm-hmm. out in, in this container of good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up?
2: Mm, I would say, uh, do you, do you follow your bliss?
0: Mm, thank you. hmm